Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project podcast. (laughs) You sound really excited there. I'm overcompensating because today has just been so hectic. It isn't one of those days where we keep asking, is it Friday the 13th? Just one of those days. Yeah. To get better because we're recording and we got some good information to share with you guys. I'm trying to think. I feel like we had some updates for them. Do we have updates on our event for September? It's happening. We are currently looking at venues and as many people who've planned a big event like a wedding or a graduation party, it kind of all starts to filter out once you got the venue. We have the... Can um, we share what the topic's going to be? Maybe. Yeah, I think we're so... So, (laughs) last year, obviously, it was around learning challenges and mental health. We haven't flushed it out 100% because we're still getting our panel together. But it is going to be another panel discussion like we had last year. But it's going to be focused more on literacy. And we'll just leave it there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which ties us into our guest for today. Exactly. So, today, we have Kelly Henkel. Did I say that right? You sure did. Yay! And Kelly is a speech and language pathologist who has been on a a different type of journey these last couple of years. Kelly, why don't you say hi to everybody and kind of give a little introduction of yourself. Sure. Well, I'm first of all honored to be on your podcast. Oh, thank Um, you. Thank you. My name is Kelly Hinkle, and I am a speech-language pathologist, and I've been practicing for about 20 years, uh, mostly specializing in serving children with autism and augmentative communication. But most recently, my specialty has shifted to working with individuals with dyslexia and dyscalculia, because I'm my most important job is being a mom of four, and all of my children have dyslexia and dyscalculia. And so in the last two years, I've really been diving in and learning some really cool methodologies to help them learn to read and authentically learn how to spell and how to do math. So I'm you know, happy to share my journey with you all. And another piece of the puzzle is I am dyslexic myself. So, you know, it's no surprise that I have four children just like me. And so I'm really trying to advocate for them so they don't have the same struggles that I've had. And um, a lot of things have shifted nowadays where, you know, when I went to school, you know, I don't even think we had IEPs then. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask, you know, I oftentimes when I have clients that are getting their children tested, some of the better evaluators actually have the parents do the testing or fill out questionnaires and and then that's the first time that they're finding out oh my gosh I had a learning difference and the parent will categorize it as you know I just had to work my tail off you know it took my buddies in college an hour to read through whatever and it took me four was that your experience growing up Absolutely. Yeah. So I was always in the smaller groups and in high school I was in classes with other below average students and a lot of them were kind of goof offs. So my mom really pushed me to be in the gifted and talented classes, not because I was gifted, but just to be surrounded by people who wanted to learn. Oh, wow. Yeah, those models. Yeah. And then in college I had accommodations. My SATs were awful, embarrassingly so. 
And thankfully, I got into good schools. I went to Loyola and Vanderbilt. But I got in because I taught sign language and I had... I'd met a lot of famous people teaching sign language and performing. And so I felt like I had to really make myself look different. And thankfully, I've heard a a lot of schools these days are putting less weight into SATs, which I think is awesome because, you know, especially for dyslexic individuals, not everyone tests well. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I'd say that's an issue across the board, right? That, you know, a lot of the times when we talk about interventions for kids who are living with dyslexia, we are not just saying that they're only going to work with kids with dyslexia. I mean, this type of learning helps so many kids because the traditional way of teaching that we have had for years and years and years is obviously outdated information. And so I think that that's something that we look at and it's important to kind of, you know, take a deeper look at, you know, what interventions are we using? Because it does make a difference. Absolutely. And I think if teachers were to teach reading and spelling and math differently and teach in a way as if you're teaching a dyslexic student, everybody would learn. I really feel like our special ed population would decrease. But they, I feel, at least in my own kid's case, I feel like what's being taught is so haphazard that kids who need that more explicit instruction fall behind. And those that are actually learning would probably learn regardless of curriculum and regardless of teachers. Right. Um, And, you know, I feel like the teacher, I'm not blaming teachers, but they aren't equipped. They aren't trained to teach reading. Even our special educators, they do not have the training coming up out of the university is to teach reading, spelling, and math. And then that's left up to the district to buy a cute little kid or go to a 15-hour workshop. That's not nearly enough. So right. I've done to over 200 hours in studying structured word inquiry, an additional 200 plus hours in making math real that I'm seeking out going to Oakland, taking webinars. Mm-hmm. It's intense, but this is what our kids need. They need individual, maybe teachers that are highly skilled in teaching reading, writing, math. Because when that doesn't happen, at least for my kids, you go from being learning disabled to having emotional disturbance, having anxiety, heart palpitations and depression. And, you know, as a mom who's kind of been through it and you're having to work so hard in learning, there's a social aspect to it that's impacted. You know, you lose friends. When you're pulled out of class Mm -hmm. to get two hours of special ed, those kids treat you differently. And it's really, it's educational wounding that's very deep. And so, you know, part of this journey that I'm fighting for with my kids is, you know, the typical pull out and push in model doesn't always work. Each is own and it should be individualized, but I'm not my kids aren't getting what they need. Right, they're right. being pulled out of art. They're being in tears. Right. It just so with my boys, we're doing after school services with highly trained people. You know, it's hard for me as a mom to be their only teacher. Right, so I have other right. people doing what and, I'm doing. And you know, Kelly, but, I think it's one of those things where you know we've talked to a lot of different district personnel and people working. You know, from your side as well, or from our side. And it's one of those things where it's something that's easy. That information can get disseminated because. Highly trained, like all of our teachers, you know, go through a program and it's just, you know, these little things that we can be doing so that they can get that training because 
this one size fits all approach that we've used writing math and arithmetic, you know, like the old school way of, of how we need to be teaching our kiddos. You know, we need those parents to, to start pushing for that reform. And, you know, I don't want any of the teachers listening to think, well, like I'm highly trained. And it's just like you probably are, but you don't have the space to be doing what it is that you want to be doing, right? Well, it's the idea that, like, the fact that your kids have to do this after school, and I know a number of kids that have to do that, I mean, it's almost, like, penalizing to them that you have this learning challenge, and so therefore you're being penalized and having to do more work than the average student because the curriculum set up isn't designed for you or isn't designed for most kids. And so it's double work. And I mean, you think about it and, you know, of course the push and pull in model, like the reason why a lot of these kids, even in gen ed are still so far behind is because they're having, or if they are on track, they're on track because they're doing double the work. I mean, they shouldn't have to be penalized with taking away music, taking away computers. And that's often where it is because it's like, oh, well, we can't take away, you know, the academic time because then they'll be even further behind. And so the idea of having, you know, specialized programs for reading and writing and math, you know, really should be more considered. I mean, I would even go so far as to make the argument for districts that, you know, you train your teachers to use these programs that are proven to work for all kids, you're going to save money in the long run because you're not having to pay for all these outside services. Absolutely. And about two years ago, that's all I asked for was training and our district flat out refused. And so there's definitely harm in being pulled out. There's also harm in getting those after school services. I think what needs to be happening is this type of teaching needs to happen during the day in the classroom. But that's not available to me here in my small little county. You know, and we don't have any alternatives like a private school for dyslexics. I'm looking to start one potentially. And I'm also considering homeschooling them, which is exciting, but also makes me sad that they can't have that, that I can't send my kids to our neighborhood school without being harmed. Right. You know, but, you know, I want to put a positive spin on it and think of the excitement that comes with creating our own type of program. You know, my only goal is to get my kids through school with a diploma so they can reach do whatever they want when they graduate. But currently I'm contracting with a high school and 90% of my population that I'm serving are dyslexic. They don't know they're dyslexic. They can't read, they can't write, they can't do math. And now as a result, they can't graduate. What kind of future is that? It goes from school to prison pipeline. You know, and if you look at the data and the literacy rate, not even for special ed, just Mm -hmm. gen ed, literacy rates and math, they're awful. Yeah. And, you know, I just, we need to be proud in what we're doing. And special educators and superintendents, you know, we really, it can be done. And I've met with superintendents, you know, I see superintendents, I see special educator directors and teachers at the conferences I'm going to. And it's so inspiring to see change happen. I went to a workshop in Ohio where there was, or actually Chicago, and there were two public schools using structure word inquiry in all of their gen ed classes. Wow. And throwing out all of their curriculum, Jolly Phonics and, you know, Orton Gillingham and all these other things that they had been doing before because they have discovered that structural word inquiry is really how our English orthography is how it's based. So for people um, that don't necessarily know what that is, can you just give a quick kind of summary? 
Yeah. So our written language is not our spoken language written down. A lot mm. of people will say, sound it out. Yes. And uh, that doesn't work. It works for some words, but a majority of our words can't be sounded out. So our written language is really based on morphology and etymology. It also involves phonology, but in that order, morphology, etymology, and phonology. But how reading and spelling is taught is only phonology or phonics based. So with then you have a bunch of words that are quote unquote irregular that kids just have to memorize. Right. And kids with dyslexia can't memorize that, oftentimes have poor memory. So here, one example is the word two, T-W-O. Mm-hmm. It's a homophone. There's T-O and there's T-double-O. But why are there so many silent letters in our words? What is the W doing in that word? Yeah. The W is there. To show its relationship to other words where the W is pronounced in 20, in twin, in twist, in twinkle. All of these share a meaning. And once you investigate, and structure word inquiry is, is a scientific way of investigating words. And once you investigate that and see the relationship, it's really beautiful and rich. And kids' vocabulary increases. But it helps you remember how things are spelled. Another example is a sign, S-I-G-N. Why is a G there? Why not just spell it S-I-N-E? It's there because it's a relationship to signal, designation, resign. So, you know, that we don't pronounce things the way they're, we can't, if, so what schools might do is with the word signal is break into two syllables. They might say signal. Well, if you break things into syllables, you lose the base element, which is sign, S-I-G-N. Right. And then you lose the meaning. And so structure word inquiry includes phonology, but most importantly, it leads with meaning. It leads with morphology and the history of words, which takes really incredible amount of scholarship. Well, yeah, that type of, te- you know, you have to be able to learn it and then take it up a notch and then teach it to someone in the correct manner. And that is where I think you were talking about the specialization and needing that appropriate training because you just, you know, getting a 20-minute lecture on it is not going to be an effective way of teaching children this structured way of learning how to read. Absolutely. And you can also learn it with your child. So I would encourage everyone to learn structured word inquiry. Gina Cook with the Linguist Exchange Educators is awesome. Rebecca Loveless. There's Pete Bowers. There's so many great people teaching this online, and it's really accessible and not expensive. But you can also start to do it yourself by looking at words, looking at etymology online, just you investigating words like you're a scientist and joining different communities that can share things online as well. So it is accessible and you don't necessarily have to have 200 plus hours of training, although I'd encourage it. You can learn (laughs) it with your child. And then math is even as intense, you know, so most math, they give you a worksheet and it starts with the abstract. And it's very haphazard. The math facts that are coming home with my kids, I'm like, I can't even make sense of this. Where making math real is very multisensory, incremental, and it breaks it down from the concrete to semi-concrete to semi-abstract to abstract. And there's no neural connection that's missed. So kids won't be left behind. 
where now it just, it goes, honestly, my first grade girls come home with math sheets that I can't figure out. (laughs) Well, especially with the common core way of teaching things, it's like, what the heck is going on? Like, give me four examples of how you solve this addition problem. Yeah, and it's, math really is a tool, the fastest way to get to the solution, but the common core takes the longest route. Right. And it doesn't work. Well, and especially because I know a lot of the theory behind the common core math is really to be teaching problem-solving skills, but it doesn't work that way when a child can't understand the way that it's being taught. It doesn't function as problem-solving. It functions as frustration. Right, especially for dyslexic learners, you know, and dyslexia is a language-based disability. So when you're adding so much language to math, you know, maybe a kiddo with dyslexia wouldn't have had a math issue, but now they do because of the way it's being taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it used to be where we just had, you know, when you get to the word problems, right, that's when, you know, kids with language difficulties are having problems with math. But now, yeah, you're right. It's, It's all over the board. It's not just word problems that happen a couple times a year. Right, yeah. And the other piece that I think that adds to this is the diagnosis. So oftentimes kids aren't even identified until third grade. And by third to fourth grade, you should be using your reading to learn higher level information, not learning to read. And if you're not identifying this in first grade and you're waiting until third grade until they're getting F's, you know, that, that closing that achievement gap is nearly impossible at that time. Right. Well, yeah. especially if then at that point they're so behind that they're then placed into a self-contained special education class that has a curriculum that is already modified and that's going at a slower pace, which inherently means that you're getting less content, which falls you further and further behind. Or maybe you were already, you know, in that self-contained class and, and that adds to you know, that gap between ability and achievement. And I mean, if you listen to, I'm sure you listened to our episode with Kathy Johnson, where, you know, she was talking about the statistics of how many kids at third grade level in California and across the country that just can't read at grade level. And it's just astonishing how, you know, and I think that goes to show that it's not just the kids that are diagnosed with dyslexia, but there's a number of impairments across the board, a number of factors that are impeding a child's ability to read, and reading is the foundation for all learning. And so that really is one of the biggest challenges that I think families and parents and children face right now, difficulty with special education, because it impacts all areas, not just reading, writing, math, but it eventually starts affecting social studies and history and science and art classes when, you know, there's that involved. I mean, I've had kids that are in high school that we would try to put them in a mainstream gen ed art class and it's like, oh, well, no, they're not reading a grade level and half of the work is reading and even in an art class. And so, I mean, that's why we're really wanting to, you know, focus hone in this year on literacy in our event because it is so important. Absolutely. And the differential diagnosis as well. So even though the Department of Education has a letter that was written in 2013, the Dear Colleague letter saying, we can say dyslexia, it's not said. And it falls under specific learning disability. But saying dyslexia really helps the parent attach themselves to a community. And there's tons of Facebook groups for dyslexia, and you can Google the best approaches for dyslexia. But when you type in specific learning disability, it's a little bit loosey-goosey in my perspective right, not right. really specific right I and, mean I always tell parents I consider like specific learning disability to be more of an eligibility category than anything else it's just describing the fact that there is that gap 
Yeah. And that the child is not reaching the level that they should be in one area or another. But yeah, that's hard to quantify. That's hard to be like, oh, you know, especially when a family is not always understanding everything that's in these multidisciplinary reports Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. okay well and i've had families that come to me before and say well my child has a specific learning disability it's like okay but that doesn't give me any information as to what are their areas of needs right because you could have a specific learning disability in speech you could have it in language you could have it in writing you could have it in reading you could have it in math you could have it in problem solving you could have in vocation you could have it in so many different areas that it doesn't tell us anything no, it doesn't. And oftentimes it's misdiagnosed. So with my oldest son, who's down to fifth grade, when he had his triennial in third grade, they wanted they had in the report ADD, inattentive type, and borderline low IQ, right? They were pretty much saying my kid was low and slow mm. and not paying attention. And I just knew in my gut that that was not accurate. We went to the diagnostic center in LA. We did IEEs in all areas, which I learned a lot from. I mean, there aren't in our area, in, from my perspective, there aren't a lot of great IEE people, assessors, and you know, oftentimes when the school recommends the IEE person, you know, they sometimes are biased with the school and right. not always accurate too. But you know, the other pieces that my kids struggle with are central auditory processing disorder, which has to be diagnosed by an audiologist, and visual processing disorder. So they're getting vision therapy, and I don't want to confuse people and people think, oh, well. You know, vision processing is very different from dyslexia, but sometimes it can be comorbid, especially for those kiddos that are reversing letters and have directionality issues. And I never really even believed it until I had my own assessment on myself and he gave me prism glasses. He asked me if I had headaches and I said, no, he gave me these prism glasses and I immediately felt relief. Oh my God. In my eyes. All of this time I have had tension and that's, you know, and immediately with my kids read faster, more fluently, didn't skip words. It was immediate. So I feel like not all these stones are turned for parents and parents don't know that they can ask for these type of assessments. One example is my, the audiologist recommended an FM system for my daughter who's in first grade and having difficulty hearing speech and noise. The district denied, denied that. Oh, yeah. wow. Just flat out said no because wow. the teacher said, Well, I don't really see that as an issue. And the audiologist said, Well, you're not going to until third grade until right. she's really far right. behind. Right. But if right. you do it now, she won't need this for long term. Yeah. And then I got put in timeout at the meeting. Oh, um, oh. well, I mean, that's, I, I, yeah. The yeah. vision and auditory processing interventions that can really help. It's probably something that we get pushback on so often because it's either considered, well, that's just medical and that's not something we have to deal with, even though we know it's educationally related, or we get the idea of, well, we don't really see it as an area. We don't really think, but I can't tell you how often I've had like FM systems put in or vision therapy being done and like the drastic difference after these interventions are done, which they're temporary interventions, the majority of them, Uh or, and then we put in accommodations. But, you know, I think one thing that is often missed is we get a child with a diagnosis of dyslexia or dyscalculia or vision processing deficit or auditory processing deficit. And we get one and we think one and done, right? We think Uh we're done. And majority of the time when we have a kid with one processing deficit, a lot of times there is another. Or what I like to tell, I ask this all the time, when I have a suspicion that there might be an auditory processing deficit, I say, well, we really should be looking at language processing and auditory and visual, all three, because not only should we be ruling out 
all of them because we don't want to just assume it's just one because they could be both impacting or all three, right? But then the other okay. thing is that we're giving ourselves more information about how where the strengths lie too because we could have one child with vision processing deficits that their auditory processing is off the charts or vice versa okay. right but then you could have another okay. kid whose auditory processing is so low but their visual processing isn't great either so right we would normally if we hear oh there's an auditory processing deficit we're just going to give visual aids well, if that child's strength isn't doesn't lie in in visual, that's not doing any good. So we have to make sure that we're covering all of our bases. And I think the same goes for kids with dyslexia and like attention processing too, ADHD. It's oftentimes we get this one diagnosis and we think, well, this is the cause. And a lot of school districts are very quick to do that as well. Well, yeah. The attention is what's causing it, or this is what's causing okay. it, and we okay. need to dig a little deeper. I mean, we can talk about this all day, and yeah. that's why we were wanting to have a an event about it. And I think, I know we keep saying this, but I think we're going to have to have you on again to check in on your journey, and we want to be cautious of your time as well. But Kelly, if parents had any questions... Is there any websites that you would recommend? I know you already said a couple or they wanted to contact you directly. I know you're very active on our Facebook page. We appreciate that. (laughs) Absolutely. So my website is www.thatspeechlady.com. I really probably should rebrand myself because I do more than speech. Oh, yeah, that's (laughs) That's amazing, though. I love it. And then, you know, if you're looking into this methodologies that I feel are extremely effective, it is makingmathreal.org. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just, you can Google a linguist educator exchange, Gina Cook. I think it's Kingston WordWorks, and that's Pete Bowers, and then Rebecca Loveless. You can Google her as well. Those are amazing people that are teaching this online. And then Making Math Real, you have to show up in Oakland and learn it, but it's worth every penny. The one thing I want to add to add to what you just said in terms of giving visual aids, like if you're dyslexic and have trouble reading, yeah, you need audiobooks, but you also need authentic learning around mm-hmm. reading yes. and spelling and English yes. orthography. And the same goes for math. You can't just give a kid a calculator and call it good. Right. These kids deserve to learn, authentically right. learn. Right. You know, it's all right. You know, I'm so passionate about kids being able to communicate, and that's why I love augmentative communication. But I think it's just important for kids to be able to read and do math because what is their future like yes. if they cannot read? and do basic math. Yeah. You know, it's really scary. And accommodations are just that. They're accommodation. They're not supposed to completely take place. You actually teaching the child. But we see that all the time, junior high, high school, where it's just like, just give them a Chromebook or just do this or just, you know, this is, they don't really need to focus on this anymore. And, you know, that's a constant struggle that we have because at a certain point, we are combating those social emotional issues with these kiddos. And, you know, it's a band but you got to take care of the bigger symptoms before you can get to the root cause. And, you know, like Amanda said, we appreciate everything that you're doing. And we're so honored that you listen to us babble every week. But you're so active on the Facebook group. And we really commend what you're doing. And you're just such a warrior because having four kids just by itself, like (laughs) I just don't, I just, you know, had my first child. I don't even know how you did it with four, like four, you're doing it. So major kudos to that. But just your passion and the way that you're able to communicate, I think resonates with a lot of people. As you could see, you know, you're always starting conversations on the Facebook group. And, you know, that's why we were so ecstatic. 
with you even wanting to be on. I don't know why we didn't think to ask you on earlier, but we really appreciate your time, Kelly, and everything that you're doing for these kiddos because it can only go so far with us as attorneys. It really starts with you as a parent. Well, I appreciate your podcast and all the knowledge that you share with us parents. I look forward to your podcast every weekend. Oh, thank you. I do laundry (laughs) and I love it. Oh, thank you so much. We're so honored to have you on and we're definitely going to put you in the counter to have you on again because I feel like we went in like just a direction I didn't even think we were going to go. Which is amazing. That's what happens. So much to talk about. So Um, have a good rest of your day and we will talk to you soon. And we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Okay. Bye.